Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Many of you have had questions and thoughts about the events in our church of the past week or so. I'm not going to talk about that this morning, but I do invite you to participate with us, if you wish, this afternoon. Several weeks ago, the School of Religion decided that they would like to sponsor a discussion of the events at Annual Council, and so they made that plan, and then partway into the plan thought, we may have more people than we can accommodate down here in the Centennial Complex, so can we move it to the church? And we were certainly very happy to do that. I am privileged to be a part of it. If you're interested, we'd love to have you join us. It will be live-streamed on our church's website at 3 o'clock, but we would also love to have you join us here in the sanctuary. A very important time in our church. Many of us have prayed a great deal about our church and its direction, and I think God is with us. And so we look forward to having you this afternoon. Several years ago, Anita and I signed up for boot camp at the Drayson Center. That meant that we had to be out of bed early in the morning and at the Drayson Center by 6 a.m. ready to go. That meant running and running up and down steps and doing calisthenics and push-ups and bear crawls. Do you know what bear crawls are? are? Those are vile exercises created by evil people. (laughs) So we had to be there 6 a.m. ready to roll and to do all of this. And so one morning we're there. A little before six, contemplating the next hour that's to come, when a thought struck me. I turned to Anita and I said, you know what we're doing. What we're doing here is that we're paying for discipline. That's what we're doing. Because we could do all these exercises at home. It wouldn't cost us anything. In fact, we could come here to Drayson Center and do all of these exercises, and it wouldn't cost us anything. It doesn't cost anything to do push-ups and run up and down steps. They should be paying us to do bear crawls. (laughs) It doesn't cost anything. So what we're paying for is discipline, the discipline to actually show up here and have somebody in charge looking at us, telling us what to do. That's what we're paying for, just so we're clear. We paid for discipline, but we were willing to do it. We were willing to pay for it. Why? Because we recognize that there are some things in life that you just can't quite do on your own. You may have all of the good intentions. You may have all of the good convictions. You may have all of the New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do this. But if you're left to yourself, somehow it just never happens. I guess another way of saying that is we need each other. There are many realities in life in which we need each other. Today is the last of a six-part series entitled Holy Habits. And in this series of sermons, we've been looking at the disciplines of the growing disciple. 
What are the habits in which a growing disciple needs to engage in order to continue to grow? And today we come to one called Workout Partners. Recognizing that when it comes to CrossFit training in discipleship, we have to have workout partners. We have to have other people to whom we are accountable, to whom we respond, if we expect to truly be able to follow through. Nobody does it alone. So we turn to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10, if you're reaching for a pew Bible, it's on page 1792. 1792. Now, before we read the passage for today, just a word about Hebrews, and then just a word about the passage. So first of all, a word about Hebrews. One commentary says that Hebrews is a letter written to potential Christian dropouts, people who are hanging on the edge, just about to walk away from it. This is a letter written to you. Now, in the original context, it was a letter written to people who had come to faith in Christ and yet were contemplating returning to the, to the rites and rituals and ceremonies of ancient Judaism. We think we're going to go back. We think we're going to drop out of this. And so the writer writes to them to tell them how Jesus is superior to that, urging them to stay connected to him. But it's not only written to those individuals. It's also written to people who have become discouraged, whose zeal is flagging, who have become tired of the trials and the tribulations and the traumas that life is throwing their way. And they are just about to walk away from it all. And the writer to the letter to the he writer of the letter to the Hebrews is saying, just hang in there. There is a grand reward up ahead when we will come into the presence of God. Don't lose sight of that. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So it's a letter of encouragement to people who are hanging in the balance. So that's Hebrews. Now a word about this passage. This passage comes toward the end of the letter. It's as the author is beginning to focus more on the practical matters of the faith about which he has written. It's focusing more on how we act, what we do as a result of what Christ has done for us. So we're going to see that in the first part of the passage. There's a word. The word is since that will appear twice. Since Jesus has done this. Since Jesus has done that. Since he has done that. That's the first part of the passage. The second part has two words. Let us. And those two words appear three times. Since this, then let us, let us, let us. And so he's trying to unpack the implications because of what Jesus has done for us. So watch for those words, since and let us. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since, that's the first time, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. In other words, okay, we can come directly into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for us. And then... Next, since, verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. In other words, he opened the way into the presence of God for us as our high priest. 
Since those two things are true, now he turns to the implications. I want you to notice that he focuses on the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. So the first let us. Since these things have happened, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and have our bodies washed with pure water. He's describing baptism and the cleansing from sin. And he says, since Jesus has opened the way into the presence of God, hold on to your faith. That faith gives you great assurance. But then he has a second one. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. Not only cling to your faith, but now he says, cling to your hope because history is going somewhere. He is faithful. He will carry it out. So be people of faith and of hope. But he has one last let us. Verse 24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let us spur one another to grow in love, in the actions of love. So, quick review. Since Jesus, as our high priest, has opened the way into the very presence of God, then let us hold on to our faith. We have full assurance before him. Let us cling to our hope. History is going somewhere. And let us, and this is our focus today, and let us spur one another on toward love, toward an active love that is manifested in good deeds. That's where I want to focus today. So with your permission, let me just reread those two final verses. That third, let us. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. In the body of Christ... There must be a mutuality if we are ever to do CrossFit training for growing disciples. We can't do it alone. I want to draw on the epistle's words here for three suggestions as to how we might do that. Three suggestions. Suggestion number one, inspire someone to action. Inspire someone to action. You heard the words here. Let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Inspire someone to action. Isn't that a lot of what a workout partner does? Have you ever had a workout partner in some exercise program, weight training program, running program? You know what your partner does. Urges you on. Urges you forward. Come on. You can do it. You're almost there. Keep going. Don't stop now. You'll be happy you didn't stop. They're encouraging, urging you on, spurring you toward your goal. That's the image on which the letter writer draws. Inspire someone to action. The well-known writer and speaker, Max Lucado, 
writes about such things with these words in the journal Men of Integrity. He writes, Every Thursday during a Young Life summer camp, 400 students make the 14,000-foot climb up Colorado's Mount Chrysolite. Several Young Life leaders and I walk with them. On one of those trips, a student named Matthew decided to call it quits. I coaxed him, begged him, and finally negotiated a plan with him. 30 steps of walking, 60 seconds of resting. Finally, we stood within 1,000 feet of the peak. But the last stretch of trail rose up as straight as a fireman's ladder. We got serious. Two guys came up beside Matt, each taking an arm. I pushed from the rear. We all but dragged Matt past the timberline and to the awesome view at the top. That's when we heard the applause. 400 campers on the crest of Mount Chrysolite gave Matt a standing ovation. As I slumped down to rest, a thought steamrolled my way. There it is, Max. A perfect picture of my plan. Do all you can to push each other to the top. Was this a message from God, I wondered? Well, it does sound a lot like something he'd say. <laughs> and that is true. That's what the writer of the letter to the Hebrews is saying. He's saying, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Push one another. Inspire someone to action. Somewhere in your life, somewhere in your world, there is someone that looks to you, looks to you for guidance, for direction, for clarity, for encouragement. It's time to inspire them to action, to doing something to mature and to deepen their love commitment. I'm caught by, truly caught by the words of Ellen White in that slim little volume, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, Listen to what she wrote. There are many to whom life is a painful struggle. They feel their deficiencies and are miserable and unbelieving. They think they have nothing for which to be grateful. Kind words, looks of sympathy, expressions of appreciation would be to many a struggling and lonely one as the cup of cold water to a thirsty soul. A word of sympathy, an act of kindness would lift burdens that rest heavily upon weary shoulders, and every word or deed of unselfish kindness is an expression of the love of Christ for lost humanity. We need each other. We need workout partners if we are going to engage in this race, as Hebrews calls it, in this CrossFit training, as we have been calling it, of growing disciples. And the writer to the letter of Hebrews says... In view of the magnificent riches that we have been given in Christ, we must act. And one of the ways we act, inspire someone to action. But I draw a second suggestion from these words. Not only inspire someone to action, but secondly, respond to someone's absence. Respond to someone's absence. You heard it right there in the text. Don't neglect 
meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I want to ask you to think about something. Think about a group that you might be a part of in this church community. Any group. Might be a member of the choir or one of the music ensembles. Might be part of the media ministries team, the children's ministry team an outreach ministry, a Bible study community, the prayer ministry, some community, some group of which you are a part. It might even be this worship service. After all, this letter is speaking specifically about worship. So think about that group for a minute and then ask yourself this question. What happens? What do I do when someone goes AWOL? When someone misses for two or three weeks, when somebody is gone for a month, when they're not there, how do I respond to that? Well, I just kind of shrug and say, well, something must have happened. Or is there some way, ask yourself, that I respond that reaches out, that lets them know, hey, you're missed. Hope all is well. Is there anything I can do? I just want you to know that we're diminished when you're not there. That underlines that we need each other and that we connect in the body of Christ in meaningful ways, even with those who are absent. There is some response. Sometimes people will say, I can do it by myself. I don't need others in order to do this. And let's be honest about it. There are things that are more tempting, things that would be more easy. Home is more comfortable. Reading is more peaceful. Nature is more beautiful. Golf is more alluring. There are a lot of things out there that might pull us, might draw us away from that, might leave us saying, I can do it alone. Yesteryear's great evangelist Dwight L. Moody was visiting a prominent citizen of the city of Chicago, was having a conversation with this gentleman who was telling Moody exactly that, saying to him, Pastor Moody, I can be a better Christian by myself than I can with other people, especially those who irritate me. You know, I can do it better on my own. I'm much better off right here. Moody listened. He didn't say anything got up from his chair in this man's living room and walked over to the fireplace, took the tongs that were there and reached in gingerly into the fireplace and extracted one of those glowing chunks of coal. Took it out, set it on the hearth, laid down the tongs and went back and sat down. Didn't say anything. And the two of them sat and watched as slowly that glowing ember of coal died out, went cold against the backdrop of the fire. And the gentleman said to Moody, I understand. We need each other. We're a body. We're a community. When one of us hurts, all of us are hurt.
And so we simply cannot live life in the communal attitude of the Spirit of God if when somebody goes missing, we shrug our shoulders and do nothing. And so the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, don't get in that habit. Keep coming together on which I would base my suggestion. Respond to someone's absence. What if they say, but I don't need that. I mean, what happens there after all? You get together, you sing some songs, somebody prays, listen to a sermon. I don't need that. I can meet God elsewhere. Well, you can. There's no question about that. But I would like to read you the words of Tom Long. Thomas Long, a scholar who, writing in his commentary on Hebrews, writes these words. Garrett Kaiser, he says, has written a beautiful and telling description of his work as a lay minister in a small Episcopal church in Vermont. He describes a Saturday night Easter vigil service at which only he and two other people were present. He began the service by lighting the Paschal candle and praying, O God, grant in this Paschal feast we may so burn with heavenly desires that with pure minds we may attain to the festival of everlasting light. As he prays, he is struck by the ambiguity of the situation. And then come Kaiser's words. The candle sputters in the half-darkness like a voice too embarrassed or overwhelmed to proclaim the news, Christ is risen. But it catches fire. And there we are, three people and a flickering light in an old church on a Saturday evening. The moment is filled with the ambiguities of all such quiet observances among few people in the midst of an oblivious population in a radically secular age. The act is so ambiguous because its terms are so extreme. The Lord is with us or we are pathetic fools. I think that's what's behind at times why people do what is described here in Hebrews. What happens there anyway? I get tired of coming together with people who have rough edges. get tired of prayers and sermons. and I can do it on my own. After all, nothing of significance happens there. What is the line from Kaiser? The act is so ambiguous because its terms are so extreme. The Lord is with us or we are pathetic fools. Are we pathetic fools? Or do we put stock in? Do we believe what Jesus said? When he said, or two or three are gathered, there am I. I'm present through my spirit to move upon hearts, to touch souls, to forgive sins, to change destinies. There am I. And if you get a sense of that, 
a sense that Jesus through his spirit is among us. There is very little that will keep you away. Whether it is that small group huddled around a table studying scripture or whether it is a grand group singing and lifting the roof in praise to God. But we need each other. We're a body. So when someone goes missing, we must respond. Whether it's that small community or that grand worship. So the writer to the letter to the Hebrews, speaking to people who understand that we have full assurance and free access into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done, says, now because of that, I want you to do some things. Inspire someone to action. Respond to someone's absence. But thirdly, he says, encourage someone's heart. Encourage Someone's heart. You remember what the text says. It says, encouraging one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, times will get more challenging, more difficult than they even are now, and you're going to need to lean on one another to make it through this. You're going to hit the wall as you get close to the end of the marathon. You're going to need others, so encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. May I point out the obvious? This is obvious to all of us, I think. But it's worth underlining. May I point out the fact that when you came into worship this morning, you encountered people, maybe more than a few people, who are barely hanging on. Life is hanging by a slender, fraying thread. They're profoundly discouraged, wondering how they can possibly put one foot in front of the other, just making it, staggering into this service, hoping that somehow the Spirit or some other person will touch their life in a way that is encouraging. May I further point out the obvious? Those precious people are sitting around you right now, sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, knowing I don't know if I can make it another week. They said the race would get hard about this time, but I don't think I can do it. Wondering, is there anyone who will take my left arm, my right arm, somebody to push me from behind? I need that if I'm going to make it. We're surrounded by those people. Honest truth is, some of us are those people. We're grateful for the magnificent gospel that says we can enter into the very presence of God with full assurance because of our high priest. But does it not warm your heart to know that the inspired word moves from the magnificent palaces of glory all the way down to our tiny hovels of misery. And Jesus prods those in the body, saying, encourage someone's heart. 
Look at someone around you, near you, your roommate, your colleague at work, your neighbor who is struggling and encourage them. Tell them, you're not alone in this. I'll be with you. Max Lucado again. Telling the story of running a half Ironman. Half, I, I think I could run a tenth Ironman. He's, he's doing a half Ironman. Includes, I think it is, a 1.2-mile swim. Includes a bicycle ride of 50 miles. May as well be 500 miles. A run of 13.1 miles. So I'm coming out of that swim, that bicycle ride, hitting the pavement, and just struggling. Still got all these miles left to go. I fall in pace with a gentleman beside me. We're running along together, and he starts talking. Can't believe I'm doing this. Who talked me into this? I'll never make this. I can't make it another mile. I don't know what we're doing. Lucado was like, whoa. He said, I knew I had to get away from this guy or I'd never make it. So I managed to speed up a little bit and caught up with a 66-year-old grandmother. 66-year-old grandmother ahead of me. Caught up with her. She started talking. You know what she said? She said, this is amazing. Isn't this glorious? Look at what we're doing. We're in the third and final facet. We're home free. We're going to make it all the way. Lucado said, let me ask you a question. Next to whom do you think I ran the rest of that race? Nothing would have detached me from her and her encouragement. That's Hebrews. Encourage one another. The day is approaching. The finish line is somewhere up there. We don't know where it is, but it's somewhere up there. So encourage each other. I'm caught by the the words of well-known speaker Jack Van Inns. It ought to give us preachers pause what Van Inns says, but it is very true. He says, people join churches more because they want warmth than light. Think about that. People join churches more because they want warmth than light. We like to think it's our stunning proclamation of the truth that keeps them in the pews. Sermons may get them into church the first time, but what keeps them coming are friendships that foster support. People look for warmth more than light, he says. People who come into our sanctuary week after week are often looking for human contact, somebody to speak an encouraging word to them, a smile, a hand on the soldier, a la- shoulder, a laugh, just saying, glad to see you. Glad you've come. Welcome to church. Let there be warmth here in this place. Because the truth is, when we go outside, it's not always the darkness that scares us. It's the cold. A cold, hard world. I love the words of the Spanish poet and philosopher, Miguel de Unamuno, who writes this, warmth, warmth, more warmth, for we are dying of cold and not of darkness. It is not the night that kills, but the frost. So the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, 
encourage someone's heart. So we need each other. We're a community. We're, as it were, in the boot camp of faith. We're in CrossFit training for disciples. This is not an easy journey. So how does the writer of the letter to the Hebrews say we ought to respond to that? Inspire someone to action. Respond to someone's absence. Encourage someone's heart. I want to ask you to consider doing something for me this week. Not next week, not next month, this week. I want to ask if you would consider taking on one of those three in your own life. I don't know if it will be in your family, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, in this church, or somewhere else. But maybe your option will be, I want to inspire someone to action. There is some context, some place, and some person or people over whom you have influence. It might be those little munchkins growing up in your home. Or it might be the staff in your place of business or the nurses on the unit where you're the manager. I don't know where it will be, but there is somewhere where you have influence. This week, would you inspire them to action? Encourage them to take the next step in their Christian walk? To go take the actions of love with their spouse to improve their relationship at home? To own what they've done wrong at the office and to stand for right somewhere, someone. Maybe that will be your choice. This week, I will inspire someone to action. Or maybe it will be, no, there's someone missing. In our music ensemble, they were always here, they were always playing. They've missed rehearsal for three weeks now. Not sure what's going on. Might be in your outreach group. Well, they were the ones that were so passionate about feeding the homeless. Haven't seen them in two months. Or it might be as you sit here at church and you think, I remember that family always sat next to me. That person was always in front of me. I haven't seen them in a while. Maybe your choice this week will be to respond to their absence. Send them a text. Send them an email. Place a phone call. I miss you. Anything we can do to help, we are not complete without you. Or maybe you will say, no, I can think of someone right now who's struggling, who's lagging behind. And this week, I want to do anything I can to encourage their heart, to give them the assurance they don't travel this journey alone. They don't run this race by themselves. They're not training in solitude. We're together. I want to ask if you would make a choice somewhere with someone, some action this week to underline the reality that we need each other. From the glorious heights of theology, of standing with full assurance before God because of what our high priest has done, this week would you descend to the reality of human life in a day-by-day world and do the work of love. God of grace, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the fact that because of Jesus, we can stand in your presence with assurance. That's just stunning to us. 
to stand before the holy God of the universe without fear. But Lord, let us not linger in the ivory palaces when people are missing and hurting and lagging. Let us take on the actions of love and do what Jesus did while he was here. Inspire us to that end and empower us for that purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.